And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. And God said, let the waters appear under the heaven, uh, the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And it was good. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And it was so. And it was good. And Job said, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways and how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power. Who can understand? And David sang, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And he sang, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And Asaph sang, Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. And another psalmist sang, From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen his heart. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And Solomon said to God, make me wise. And so Solomon spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And Isaiah said, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out the heavenly host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And Jesus talked of mountains and skies, of trees and fields, of plants and animals, of bread and wine. And Jesus said to a storm, 
peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And the disciples said, Who then is this that even the wind and the wave obey him? And Paul said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And the elders around the heavenly throne say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, And Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. And so it's strange that we don't say much about creation, isn't it? And I thought, given how much of our current preaching series has involved us considering creation again and again, considering God's handiwork again and again, what he meant it for and what he means by it, that today would be an opportunity to put that right somewhat. Because God's word tells us very clearly that God is speaking and that his creation is speaking. So we need to think what makes us so hard of hearing And then make some plans for listening better and speaking in response. So Lord, we pray that you would help us with that task this morning. We thank you so much how wonderfully, powerfully you've made yourself present to us already. We're so grateful for that. We thank you, you're always speaking. So we ask for ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us fresh gifts of faith right now. Amen. So why might we not hear God speak through creation? Before we look at how he does, I'm going to look at some reasons that may make us not hear him. And there's, I'm going to say four reasons. They're all rooted in the first. And the first is this. We don't want to. In his sweeping description of human rebellion, the apostle Paul writes... For what can be known about, known about God is plain to all, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. But although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Just as Adam and Eve rejected what God had said 
to them, did not listen to what he had said to them. So we all close our ears to him. We prefer the sound of our own voice, even if it enslaves us to something or someone else, and we become increasingly deaf to God. Now, through sheer mercy, he opens the ears of many of us. A Christian is someone who has heard the sweetest sound ever, the voice of Jesus calling us to turn from our ways and to come to him, the rescuer. But even for believers, the temptation to stop listening seems to be ever-present. And there are other voices who would try to drown him out. So we have an individual resistance to hearing from God, but we also live in a culture that has a decided rejection of God as creator. This has been going on in various ways for you know, 300 years or so. But the catalytic point that most people would point to was the acceptance that theories of evolution removed the need for a creator. And despite the huge numbers of Christians who have worked and are working in all spheres of science, it was said that it was laughable or childish to believe that God existed. And so Richard Dawkins, when he wrote The God Delusion, dedicated it to another author, Douglas Adams, and included a quote from Adams who said, isn't it enough to see that the garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too? Sounds smart. Until, as someone else replies, well, of course, a beautiful garden wouldn't make me believe in fairies. But it might make me believe in a gardener, wouldn't you think? But for many people, removing God as creator was less about coming to a logical conclusion. It was more about finding a way out from the obligations that his existence imposed upon us. So writing early in the 20th century, the author Aldous Huxley confessed, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning, consequently assumed that it had none, and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. Then there is... The curse that is on creation. In the aftermath of Adam and Eve's sin, God declared, cursed is the ground because of you. Paul describes the creation as being um, subject to futility, in bondage to corruption. It does still declare the glory of God, but it also does sometimes give us mixed messages. For some, creation is a deadly threat. In its current state, it cannot be definitive for our understanding of God. If there's a tension between what nature seems to be saying and what God has said in Jesus, then just to be clear, it is in Jesus that we put our trust. And distinguishing between what's glorious and what's cursed isn't perhaps quite as simple as we might think. Creation isn't naive, it's not sentimental. But sometimes we can say, well, that seems a bit complicated, not quite sure about that. It's better I just don't try and listen at all. There is far more for us to hear still than most of us do. And there's one other reason I think we're not very good at hearing. It's what I've called human noise pollution. Have you ever, ever been in a place where the only evidence of human existence is you? 
But everything else around you is evidence of the creator. So there's, there's not even a road or a path to get you there. There's no impact of agriculture on the land or on the other animal inhabitants. There's no gift shop or cafe. It's extremely rare, isn't it? Because basically everywhere we go, other people have already gone. Humans have impacted the world in so many ways. And this has rapidly accelerated in the past century. And this has really important consequences for how we relate to God. For example, we are confronted with something beautiful in creation, something wonderful, something glorious, something that could speak to us about God, that could draw us into worship of God. So what do we do? Definitely got to take a picture of this. We get our phones out. Now, clearly, I do this too, because most of the photos you're going to see on the screen I took, not the ones of space and some of the other cool ones. But, <laughs> but a moment that could draw our focus away from ourselves and into God suddenly becomes a moment where we're thinking, how do I frame this? Who do I send this to? What a cool phone this is. Years ago, I read a quote from a preacher who said, nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. That quote was written, of course, in the pre-selfie era. Because now people do. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon, but it is a major part of modern life that I feel like most people don't notice or at least do anything about. The writer Alan Jacobs says, My phone is ever-present because I like it that way. I choose the device that interrupts my thinking and gives me an ever-present opportunity to escape unwanted emotions. There's a, a trend on TikTok called silent walking. And the shocking idea is that you go for a walk, but you don't listen to music or a podcast or an audiobook or anything as you do so. Now, I don't know whether or not people have gone as far as to actually silence their phone or or turn it off or leave it at home. But the fact that this is such a radical and uncomfortable idea tells us that we have chosen to fill our lives with noise. Why? Because thinking and feeling can be really hard. And in that moment, We might be drawn to God. Encountering God in his creation can be sudden. Much more usually, it's gradual. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes concentration. The results aren't guaranteed. And many, if not most, of our technologies exist to save us from those kind of essential situations. Do that much quicker than that. We'll make it much easier than that. We'll absolutely deliver this. And that's what we think life is supposed to be like. But if we don't keep these things in their place, we allow them to rob us of hearing from God. So let's not be like that. Let's get better at hearing what creation is saying and what God is saying to us 
through it. And because this is something I'm trying to cultivate in my children, I'm going to use a set of instructions that I say to them quite often in another context, which is we need to stop, we need to look, we need to listen. Then we need to go. So, just say again what I've just said. We need to give our attention to God in order to hear his voice. Because our default is noise, switching to silence is almost always a conscious choice. You will have to say to yourself, I am not going to listen to this. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this and this and this, which means that those noises are gone. This is part of the reason God prescribed a Sabbath rest every seventh day. He's doing many things when he does that. He's telling us he's not a slave driver, but also that he wants our undivided attention. What divides your attention? Can you learn to live some of your life without it? Like an hour. Try, with, try for an hour. Or half a day. Or a whole day. Or occasionally even longer than that. I think this issue of stopping has an extra layer of complexity for churches like ours. So we're, we're charismatic we emphasize God's manifest presence, which means that he can be here in a particular way at this moment in time. And we experienced that as we worshiped this morning. We thought, wow, because I was here and attending to God, he spoke to me. I heard him speak. What that can make us think, even though we very, I noticed we didn't even say that today. We were very clear that we don't think this, but it can make us think that he's either here or he isn't. Now, contemplative Christian traditions have a different emphasis, which is that God's always with us, but we don't notice most of the time. So we tend to think that we have to wait for God to show up, whereas they focus on making themselves more attentive to what God is already saying and doing. Clearly, God reveals himself in either of these ways. But I think stopping is something he sometimes forces us to do in order that we would honor him for who and what he is. So that it doesn't just feel like he's another thing that's going on along with everything else. I was really great because I did this, I did this, I did this. God spoke to me, I did that, I did that, I did that. He can just seem like an accessory if we're not careful. And he isn't. So we need to stop. And then... We need to look. We seek to engage. What can we see? What are we being shown? I'm not sure if look at that was the thing my dad said most to me, but it's the thing I remember most. He had a capacity for wonder, which I naturally resented in my teenage years, being dragged on another walk or some such but I came to appreciate it and even try to imitate it more and more as I grew older and wiser. He was always looking for things to see. And there are always things to see. I know if you're here and you're doing a PhD, 
you don't want to tell people what it is you're doing. I know it's hard to explain, and I'm sorry that I will ask, because I like discovering there's another thing that I don't know about, and I know you feel you don't know about it either. But they are examples of how there's always more to see in God's creation and in our cultivation of it. Thankfully, you don't need a PhD to see well. I mean, you can live in Edinburgh. That, that really helps. We're particularly blessed to live in this place. There's so much to see. Edinburgh's hills, they're lovely in themselves, and they give us vantage points further. There are waterfronts and beaches on two sides of us. There are waters running through it. There are parks everywhere. There are mountains and better beaches and all sorts of awesome things easily accessible from here too. But you don't have to go that far to see things. When we moved into our new house, um, we put the dining table by a window that looked out onto the garden and we hung bird feeders outside the window. And this meant that without doing anything extra in our day, just having breakfast and dinner, our children would see wonderful things. All sorts of birds, cheeky squirrels, a local fox, the impact of the seasons on plants and trees, the mysterious movements of the moon, which Daddy still doesn't really understand and can't tell you any more about it, but that's where it is today. All sorts of clouds, sometimes even rays of sunshine. Look at that, I tell them. Now they sometimes tell me, look at that. Then I say to them, now listen. Paul said to the Romans, anyone can see these things, but not everyone will listen. Psalm 19 sings, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech there are, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So I say to my kids what I say to myself, listen. What might this be telling me about God? Or how might God be speaking to me through this? I can do this by myself. I can do this with others. When we agree, let's let's just look, let's just watch, let's listen together, let's help each other. Rowan Williams writes, the true disciple is an expectant person, always taking it for granted that there is something about to break through from the master, something about to burst through the ordinary and uncover a new light on the landscape. And I think that living in expectancy, living in awareness, your eyes sufficiently open and your mind sufficiently both slack and attentive, that means not other noise, but just ready to see That, when it happens, living that way has a great deal to do with discipleship. So I like looking at the sea. Sometimes I look at it, I think, that is just massive. That is so powerful. And that is full of life. Those kind of things. Once, I was walking along a piece of coast that is 
particularly beautiful. I was just, I was just feeling distressed, dissatisfied, confused about just areas of my life that they just weren't going as I wanted them to go. And I was, I was trying to speak to God about it. I was by myself, so I could. And I looked out to sea, and I felt God speak to me in a moment. Say, just as I'm in control of all of these waves, so I'm in control of your life. Now, that's a biblical truth. It's a biblical truth I already knew. But I was able to hear God say it to me because of where I was and what I was doing there. Or take wild blackberries, which we do a lot. Say to our kids, isn't God kind to make so many blackberries? They are keenly aware of this, which is why they keep asking for more of them. But as they do that, I can push deeper into this. I can think to myself, why are there so many? Why did God produce more manna in the wilderness than the Israelites could eat? rather than exactly enough? And why did Jesus produce basketfuls more food than the crowds of thousands could eat both times he miraculously fed them? <laughs> Overdid it the first time, diet down the next time. No. I'm confronted with the reality that inefficiency is an irrelevance to God, and he is exuberant. He loves abundance. And then I think... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then I think of Paul telling the Ephesians that not only did God give us his precious son, but in the coming ages he will show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what he's planning to do. And I can think of how Paul also tells them that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think now. And the blackberry bush may not be burning like the one that Moses saw, but it has become a place of encounter with God, nevertheless. Don't always think like this. Don't always listen that keenly. Sometimes it's just nice to walk by the sea and eat and share blackberries and thank God for it at the end of the day. But the possibility of hearing him like this is always there if we stop, if we look, if we listen. We have to choose those things. to choose to stop, we have to choose to look, we have to choose to listen, knowing that God has chosen to speak and hoping that we'll hear him. Then we find different ways in which we can go as we respond to his voice. So we can look at the wild things and hear that God cannot be domesticated 
We can see distant stars or the sand on the seashore and try to conceive of how limitless he is. We can experience the rain or the sunshine or the wind and confess that there is nothing that we could do to make that happen or to prevent it. (laughs) That all of our life is given by God rather than our accomplishment. We can find something fragile and realize that he cares for the weak and that he has given us this planet and its inhabitants to look after. And we can sense the connections and ecosystems and we can wonder about the Trinity and the church body we're in. And we can see the order in it all and we can think about God's faithfulness. And we're confronted with the incomprehensible and we're reminded that God cannot be comprehended by us or anyone. We can see something broken and believe that it will be redeemed with all things. And we can see something beautiful and appreciate it as another gift from our Heavenly Father. And we can marvel at his creativity and sense his prompting us to imitate him. Because as any good father with their children, he is leading us to become like him. And we see the goodness and the glory and the grace of God. And we say to others, stop, look, listen. And we sing to God, how great thou art. It sounds even better outdoors, but we're going to do it now nevertheless. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand and let's pray. Lord Jesus, you told us your father's always working. He's always speaking. That which he has made is always speaking. I pray, help us. Surrounded by so much noise and kind of longing for the noise. Lord, we just confess that sometimes. We don't really want to engage with you. It's hard. We don't have to think or feel. It's hard. And we just say we're sorry for that. We want to take time to stop. Help us learn how to do that. Thank you. You've put us in such a remarkable world. There is so much to see and experience and be impacted by. Give us eyes to see, please. And give us ears to hear. Help us to help one another in this. Holy Spirit, please, please come. Speak to us when you, these moments, these so few precious moments, you get our attention, you show us something. Help us to, help us to hear you speak. We're your children, we're your disciples. We want to hear your voice, God. And Lord, help us to be those who praise, who preserve, who are humbled, who are calling others to see and hear how great you are. Amen.